Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Really amazing to have you here. If you are part of Life Changes, welcome. I do also want to make a special mention. If you are visiting us, we just, uh, I always like to do this at the beginning of my, uh, when I preach, but just to say it's a privilege to host you. Uh, We don't take it lightly, the opportunity to host visitors. We believe that we exist for those who are not yet part of us. And so we want to say welcome. We'd love to have you part of the family. And we count it a privilege to be able to host you this morning. Can we give our visitors a life changer's welcome? There we go. Um, as Mark mentioned, I had the, uh, an uh, amazing opportunity to, to go to Doha, a man who was in our church many years ago, who now lives there and is part of Doha Fellowship, actually paid for my flight, which was incredibly generous, and had a, an incredible opportunity to go visit the Middle East, which is a, an amazing place, quite an experience, um, and, and really was a, it's a big city. There's, as Mark said, lots of money, lots of things going on. But this unbelievable church there called Doha Fellowship, I, Mark is not joking, he said it before from the pulpit, it is the most impractical church building imaginable. There are, so effectively it is this room, but turned around, there's a stage over there, and then there is a foyer that cuts into the room there, and there are people around the corners, and people in the foyer, and the kids meet in a basement, and it's all happening, um, but it is so, it's so impractical. But the life of Jesus is there is in the most incredible way. Uh, we went, uh, so they do church on Thursday nights and Fridays. And uh, Thursday night meeting, you arrive there, you think, oh, this is going to be cool. The worship band is on the far right of the stage and the, uh, the far right of the stage. The preacher preaches on the far left of the stage. And, um, and as, they, uh, as they started the first song, you could just feel the room light up. It was like someone had dropped a match and all of a sudden people were just worshiping passionately. You could not hear the band. You know, like we complain about the band being too loud. They would complain about the congregation being too loud because the band cannot hear what they are doing because the people are singing with such entheos and passion. Um, so it was a real beautiful experience. And and I had the opportunity to uh, personally have the privilege of preaching at their Hindi service, which is led by an amazing couple named uh, Jamon and Sarah. Um, He's a surgeon, she's a dentist, and they lead this congregation of Hindi people who are predominantly um, workers. They live on work camps in in Doha, in Qatar. They are not paid well, but they they go there to earn money to send back to their families. Um, It is some real, real challenges, some very tough work scenarios. They, They will work anywhere between 12 and 15 hours a day, and they get one day off a week, and then they have a anywhere between two weeks and three months, depending on how good the job is, holiday every two years. That is the kind of scenario where they get to go and see their families. But what was so incredible is uh, the team there gave me the opportunity to preach at their Hindi meeting with a translator. Jamon was translating for me. Um, and so they arrive at two hours early before their meeting. They come in, they uh, do alpha, so they are able to invite friends from the the work camps to come and experience Alpha, and guys are getting saved through that. Then they do something else where they um, they have guitar lessons so that the guys can become part of the worship teams. Then they also do a Bible college, similar to our Monday night, where basically their whole congregation are either doing in an Alpha space or doing Bible college or learning how to play guitar. It just is this buzz in the building from about um, to 12 o'clock. And then after that, what they do is they come into the hall for half an hour before church, 
to pray for the meeting. The whole congregation come a half an hour before the meeting to pray for the meeting. So we're thinking of implementing that. So you guys will just have to come at 10 rather than 10.30, pray for half an hour, and then we'll start church. Um, and, and what's phenomenal about it is it's not one of those prayer meetings where someone's at the front and they're like, okay, guys, we're going to try and pray for a minute. Go. And then after 30 seconds, it's quiet. You go, okay, we're going to, no, it, it literally, they'll share a word up front and that whole room erupts in prayer. For 25 minutes, they pray. They are passionately seeking God to impact Doha, to impact where they live, to impact, fa- they just pray. I had no clue what they were saying. So I cannot tell you what exactly they were praying for. I did stand there just staring. And then every few minutes, Jamon would look at me and he would tell me what was going on, which is also an incredibly humbling experience. But so they pray for 25 minutes. Then they go out of the room, have a quick coffee for five minutes, and then come in for church, which can last anywhere from an hour and a half to two and a half hours. Just this, this people. And as that worship band starts, these people erupt in worship. It is, a, it is an unbelievable, I can't describe to you the feeling when these Nepalese and Indian people start worshiping Jesus with everything in them. Their circumstances are very difficult. They do not earn a lot of money. Most of them have been away from their families for months, if not years at a time, because even though they earn the money, they can't afford to go home. They send most of their money home so their family can live. They, it is a very challenging, challenging circumstance. And I felt as I was watching these people worship, I just had this unbelievable sense that these people get Jesus. No matter their circumstances, no matter the difficulty of their situations, which I want to, I can tell you now are difficult situations, they passionately worship Jesus. They couldn't be concerned if they got the, the perfect job or the perfect this or the perfect that. No matter the circumstance, they are sold out for the King of Kings. And and going there, I felt, uh, Mark said to us, hey, please be prepared if anything comes up. So I felt a word, and I'm going to share a little bit of that word. But as I was preaching this word, um, and a translator translating, every time he translated, I would look at him, and then I would look at the crowd, and I almost got the sense that I was preaching to myself. I was like, these guys get what I'm talking about. I don't get what I'm talking about. You know, when you like, the sense of like, wow, God, these people passionately love Jesus. And when you go to nations like this, I think um, I've heard many people say it. I haven't had the opportunity before where they say, when you go to nations like this, your heart gets enlarged for the gospel because you see people who are fighting battles just to be able to preach about Jesus. You see, you go into a nation like Turkey, 18 million people in Istanbul in one city, there are 4,000 born again believers. That is a radical statistic. When you live in a nation that actually, for the most part, people know about church, they know about things, the worst that can happen to us, yeah, if you tell someone about Jesus is they look at you a bit funny and walk away, they run the real risk of imprisonment, of even death in those nations. And you go and you sit there and you go, they are worshiping God with everything inside their hearts. Something shifts. Yeah, that uh, on Friday morning of the, so obviously many of you would have heard about the bombing that happened in New Zealand in the mosques. That Friday morning, that bombing happened was the morning of church. And there was not a single person who did not come to church. And the risk in a nation like that is that there will be a, a, a um, retaliation for what had happened in New Zealand. So genuinely those people arrive, if you, the building is covered by bomb ballasts, it's quite an interesting thing. They run the real risk of some form of retaliation happening that day because of what happened in New Zealand. Not a, That church was packed 
to the hilt with people worshiping God. And, and the reason I tell these stories is not to condemn us or make us feel like we're not doing enough. No, rather it is to inspire us to see that the gospel is bigger than we could ever imagine. And I, I really am, I, I was, and I'm just sharing us uh, what I saw and what I was challenged by. They do not worship based on circumstance. And, and today I want to talk a little bit about what I believe Jesus spoke to me when I was there. Is you see, the challenges, I think often we, we, count, we, we enter our lives and we have an encounter with Jesus. And so what we do is we kind of take our lives and the way we do life. And what we start to do is we start to try and fit our lifestyle into following Jesus. We try and start to fit our Monday to Friday, our Saturday and our Sunday into, into following Jesus. So I have this relationship with God. But at the same time, I'm very, I kind of just, I wanted to work according to my terms. You know, I still want to live in this house and I want this reality. And, and God blesses us with those things. But, but first and foremost, I believe that Jesus came to change culture. And you see, the problem is I think sometimes we grip a hold of culture and we try and fit it into our Christianity. When Jesus came and preached a, a, a message, a reality, a gospel that is very different to our culture. In Matthew 5, uh, chapter 5 to chapter 7, you may have, have read it um, before. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't, go read it, read it when you get home. But it is this incredible sermon where Jesus is kind of putting a, a, a stake in the ground. He's saying, this is what I stand for. He, he preaches this three-chapter message. And basically what he's doing is he's preaching against the culture of the day. He's saying, actually, this is what is happening. This is the culture. This is the religious reality. But this is my kingdom. This is what my kingdom looks like. You see, we live in a culture that, that measures success in a very specific way. Do you have enough money? Have you achieved enough? Do you have the right degrees? We live in a culture that, that says to you, always measure yourself against the person next to you. Are you better? Are you achieving more? We live in a culture that says, get your identity from your achievements. And you see what Jesus is preaching in this moment is he's saying, because that culture and our culture are not vastly different in their thinkings. And what Jesus is saying to them is, no, your identity will be found in me. Actually, your success and your achievement are based on what I call you to and what I give you. Actually, your reality and your relationships, you're not called to be better than one another. You are called to raise each other up. That is the, the culture that he was speaking into, but he was saying, actually, my culture, my kingdom is different to what you know. And you see, when we embrace the way of Jesus, when we embrace his kingdom culture, we start to see the kingdom of God break into earth. We have to understand that when we choose Jesus' way, we give him the room to work in our lives. Without a, an intentional going, God, I trust you in these areas. I choose your way in these areas. We, we will often not see the life of God break into our circumstances. You see, the way of, the, of culture is very simply this. In our world, it's, well, you know what? Whatever you desire, go for it. If you want to have sex before marriage, if you want to do all of these different things, if you want to pursue multiple relationships, you, you want to do all of that, go for it. You know what Jesus says? He says, actually, we're going to value covenant again. We're going to fight for marriage again. We're going to do things God's way. Why? Because on the other side of our obedience, people are waiting. The life of God wants to break in. The world says to you, well, you know what? If someone wrongs you, you have the right to pursue revenge against that person. Get your own back. 
You know, everyone, when something goes wrong, you're not karma. What comes around goes around. Can I tell you, that is not a Jesus way of thinking. Jesus says, you know what? Even though you've wronged me, I am going to choose to forgive you. I am going to choose to love you. Can I tell you, forgiveness is difficult. But when we choose to do things Jesus' way, the kingdom of God breaks into people's lives. I love it when Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, well, you know what? If someone wrongs you, forgive them once. Okay, Jesus, I can do that. I can, I can do a, a one forgiveness. And actually, if that same guy wrongs you again, forgive him again. Okay, I can do two. And if he does it again, forgive him again. Oh, now you're stretching me. Now you're stretching me. He says, no, actually, forgive 70 times seven. Now, I'm not very good at maths, but that's a lot. And what Jesus is saying is he's not giving you a prescription. He's saying, do it over and over and over again. Why? Because the, his way is different to our way. The world says, hate your enemies. Jesus says, Loves your, love your enemies. The world says, uh, give in public. You know, there are lots of philanthropists in the world. You, you know how you know they give a lot of money away? Because they tell you. You know, you meet people and they're like, yeah, I'm very rich and I give a lot of my money away. You're like, that's cool. That's amazing. You know what Jesus says? Give in secret. Why? Because when I give in secret, I know it's from a pure heart. It's from a desire to please my Savior. Jesus speaks against a culture where actually they were giving in public so that people could see when they fasted, they painted their faces white so everyone would know they're fasting. It's like just a strange culture. I don't know about you, if you've thought of doing that. Our face sometimes goes white when I'm fasting. But, but actually, Jesus is saying, my primary desire is to change the way you think and change the way you act. And so this morning, you might be saying to me, well, that all sounds amazing. How do I embrace this Jesus way of living? And I'd love to read, it's a very short story, but an amazing story in the book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 41 to 43. It'll be on the screen behind me. It's called this, the widow's offering. It says this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. So just to paint the picture, this is tithes and offerings happening at church. Jesus is, imagine Jesus standing on the side over there while you're doing your tithes and offerings. It would be a little bit strange for most people. But he's watching them as they're giving. And I love how Terry Virgo put this, this moment. It's almost like this moment where the rich guy takes out his oversized wallet. I don't know why. It's always very big wallets. And then he, they kind of would be in the offering moment just taking out the wad of money and just almost counting it out on the table just to figure out, well, look how much I'm giving. These wealthy men are giving these huge amounts of money. And then on the flip side of the coin, there's this widow who comes forward with her two copper coins, who, which value is not very much. She kind of quietly, I would imagine, walks to the front, puts it in, and quietly walks out. Little does she know that Jesus is watching, and this is what he says. He says he calls his disciples to him, and in a teaching moment, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So in our economics, she did not put in more than the other guys. But in heaven's economics, things work a little bit differently. 
And actually what we see is her Savior looking at her and going, actually she has given far more than all the wealthy men who threw in lots and lots of money. You see, something to remember when we read the Word of God is understanding that this is a real woman. See, often I think when we read the Bible, we look at it with this perspective of, oh, that's a cool story that I can learn something from. What's important to remember is when we read the text, when we read the Scriptures, these were real people who lived in a real day, who had real challenges. This was a woman who had lost her husband, who did not have money, who could probably struggle to feed herself, struggle to pay rent, struggle to do all of those things. And in this moment, she has the opportunity to give, and she gives the last bit she has. Why? Because her perspective was different. You see, from a, a, a world culture perspective, she should have kept those two coins. She should have protected them with her life. But in a kingdom perspective, we go, okay, God, I'm going to give you what I have. And this morning, I'd love to share three simple thoughts that I believe will help us in living this life devoted to Christ. The first one is this. He wants our everything. He wants our everything. You see, we do this thing where we compartmentalize our lives as people. So what we do is we, and, 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 and actually good life coaches will tell you this. They'll say, create boxes for your life. So, you know, create a work box, and a work box gets 10 hours of my day, and create a family box, and then you make sure in that box you kind of use four hours of your day. And, and so what we do is we create these compartments. We go, family's here, work's here, um, recreation's over here, um, friends are over here. And, and we do that, and, and then what ends up happening is because we live a life that looks like that, we take God and we create a box for Him. And we go, okay, this is my God box, and I need to tick this box in the way that I feel will please God. So maybe your God box is just two hours on a Sunday. If I come for a quick coffee, a quick coffee so I don't have to talk to anybody, and I go in for the hour and a half meeting, then I've ticked my God box that I've created. Or, or maybe you go even as far as to go, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to go to a life group. So your God box is a little bit bigger. And, and the challenge with that is that God does not want to be a box in our lives. He wants to be the place from which everything else flows. You see, what we do is we create these compartments when God is saying, I want to be the thing that drives and feeds and flows into all of those areas of your life. I want to be, that's why the Bible says that He's not only our Savior, He's also our King. Why? Because He sits on the throne of our lives. He's the one who rules over our work and our family and our friends and our recreation. And all of those things need to flow from the throne of grace, from Jesus. But the challenge is when we put it in a box, then it becomes a thing we need to tick and it becomes a task rather than a relationship. And so this morning, I'm passionate about this reality that actually Jesus wants us, like this woman did with her two coins, to give, uh, to give everything of ourselves. You see, often our finances are indicative of our heart. In this moment, Jesus is not illustrating necessarily a, simply a financial principle. I believe it is a financial principle, but he's also displaying a point that actually this woman wholly and completely trusted Jesus with her life. The difference between the widow and the rich men is they gave out of their excess, she gave her everything. And often we will give easily out of our excess. We'll give out of our excess of time. You know, you know I've got an hour free on a Saturday. I'm going to go to soup kitchen. 
But actually, all of a sudden, when your Saturday is packed with work and things, and you choose to sacrifice two hours to go to soup kitchen, all of a sudden it's, okay, God, I'm trusting you with my everything. Because I can't fit this in, but I'm going to trust you with it. In Romans 12, 1, it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I don't know about you, but I've had moments where I've thought, well, God, you know, how do I worship you well? How do I, how do, I do this thing where I, I, I live my life for you? And, and it puts it so plainly here in the Scriptures. It says, offer your life up for Jesus. Say Jesus, and what, and what he's not saying here is go and kind of live in a, a small bunker and read your Bible every day and never talk to anyone and just be with God. No, what he's saying here is offer yourself to God. Give everything that you are to Jesus so that he can use you for his purposes. And I think sometimes the skewed mentality, and Mark handled this so beautifully the other day in our release wide talk, but actually sometimes we get the skewed mentality that, that giving of ourselves to God means we give up our job and give up our lives. and give up. No, it means that we give those things to God so that He can use them for His glory. That is what it looks like. When I was, um, a couple of years ago, I, was, uh, I, I fell ill with a, a little bit of a challenge. Um, and, and so I had, a, I had some fi- a medical bills I had to pay. I had to pay medical aid as well as the medication that I had to get, rent, all of these things. And they all started adding up. And all of a sudden, overnight, I was under financial pressure. And I remember, um, and I, I'm a, I, was, I work for a church. So it's like you, all of these things are you're like, okay, I need to work this all out and figure it all out. And I remember deciding, you know what, if I just stop paying tithes for a month, then I'll just be able to pay that little bit extra that I need to get through the month. And, and one month became two months, became three months. And for about six months, I just stopped giving. And I remember what happened is I had more money to pay the things that I need to pay. But every month that passed by, my heart got more and more anxious, more and more stressed. I felt more and more anxiety. I felt like I was in this financial trap that was holding me. And in theory, I should have felt more free because I had more money. And I felt God say to me, you need to start giving again. And I stretched myself and I gave, uh, I gave, I started giving again. And, and, and I'm, I'm be honest with you, my circumstances didn't change overnight. That took a little while. But in a moment, I felt the freedom of God come again. Why? Because I chose to believe in Jesus' culture rather than the culture of our world that says keep and hoard and don't give and make sure you have enough. And rather, because when we give, when we tithe, when we give to people, you know what you're saying? You're saying, God, I put the, I put the responsibility of provider on you, not on myself. And you know what? When we do that, He relishes in the opportunity because He lacks nothing. He wants to be our provider. And when we give, we're saying, God, I trust you to provide because I can't do this. That is what giving does. And all of a sudden, I felt the, the freedom of God come in that area. Why? Because I, I chose to give it over to Him. And there might be people in this room who are going, Yo, I'm under big financial pressure. My business is not doing well. Well, sir or ma'am, are you trusting God with your business? You're going, my family's not doing well. My marriage is not doing well. Are you trusting God with your marriage? Because when we choose to do that, the life of God flows. Number one, He wants our everything. Number one, Jesus uses our little for His much. Jesus uses our little for His much. We can bring a lot of things to God, but if we do not trust Him with those things, there will be very little meaning on the other side. You see, Jesus teaches this principle that He needs very little from us to do great things. 
Bible says that we need faith like a mustard seed. A mustard seed is a tiny little seed. But when we put our little into the pot, God can do radical things with it. You see, God is much bigger than we think. If you could sit in this room right now and close your eyes and try and imagine the bigness of God, He's bigger than that. He is more able than you could ever imagine. He has more access than you could ever imagine. He has more provision available to Him than you could ever imagine. But the challenge is that we need to trust Him with our little so that He can turn it into much. You see, it's not a salvation issue. The grace of God makes you completely perfect in Jesus. When Jesus sees you, when you have made a commitment to Jesus, when the Father sees you, He sees His perfect Son. You are perfect. You are justified in Christ. But trusting God is a decision that we make. And we can be perfectly justified. We can be a new creation, but on a daily basis choose not to trust God and therefore not walk in the life that God has for us. You might be sitting here this morning and going, well, I just don't have enough. I, I, I really want to do great things for God. I want to live a great life, but it just doesn't seem to work. Well, sir or ma'am, I want to say to you that when you put your little at the feet of Jesus, He will do incredible things with it. When you put everything that you have at the feet of Jesus, He will do amazing things. When I was 16 years old, I got saved. Church was very new to me. I wondered why they sang karaoke at a screen. I wasn't too sure how this whole thing worked, but I remember I made a decision to start helping. I didn't even, at the time, I didn't know it was called serving. And I started helping, and I would go to youth about two hours early, and I'd help pack our chairs, and then I became part of Life Changers, and we had an evening meeting, and we didn't have serving teams and all of these things at that time. Um, we had the Tyler team that used to come at four o'clock before church, and I would, yeah, it was a good team, jo join it sometime. But, um, but I would come early for two hours, and I would help set up and get things ready, and, and I just gave the little bit that I had. I just said, you know what, what I can do, and there's not much that I can do, but what I can do is I can help in this area. I can give energy in this area. You know, I can imagine when Wayne and Jen started Soup Kitchen in Danoon with a couple of people and taking soup and bread, they could never have imagined what God would do in that place. That they would have 40, 50 volunteers going every, Saturday, every second Saturday to go and serve people. When we choose to give our little bit, God will do incredible things with it. We can have the most resources in the world, but if we don't trust God with them, they will become nothing. It's a radical truth that when we catch it, it changes the way we do life. What is your little at this time? Your job, your business, your degree, your, um, your finances, whatever it might be, God wants to use it for His glory. You know what's amazing about when we give God a little bit and He makes it great? He gets all the glory in that situation. That's why the Bible says that He will use the least of these, the, the, the foolish to shame the wise. Why? Because He wants the glory. And when He uses those who actually don't have it all together, like me and you, He gets the glory. That's what's so phenomenal about the gospel. Number one, He wants our everything. Number two, He uses our little for His much. And number three, Jesus seeks the heart. Religion says what you do on the outside matters. What Jesus is concerned about is the inside. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes a statement. He says, uh, someone asks him about adultery, and he says, well, actually, you know what? If you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. He wasn't trying to make people feel bad. He was trying to illustrate the truth that what happens in your heart affects your outside. 
What happens on the inside affects your outside. And what he is concerned about is your heart, not your actions. Because they will follow. When you fall in love with Jesus, your actions will follow. That's why he makes the statement. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's not trying to condemn with that statement. He's, he's making a statement that is a truth. That when you love Jesus, you won't keep his commandments. You'll keep his commandments. There's nothing you can do about it when you're in love with Jesus. And so what he's saying here is actually I seek the heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. He's talking about Goliath. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In this moment, in this story, Goliath, huge man, definitely probably maybe going to win the battle. David, really short man with a sling. I don't know how many times you've gone into a fight. You're like, I got my sling? I'm sorted. I personally haven't done that. But actually, God says, actually, I see a man here who's after my heart, and I will give him the victory. I'll give him a future. I'll give him a hope. Why? Because he's choosing to trust me. I can imagine David was petrified when he went out to Goliath. I think sometimes we glorify these stories in a strange way. We're like, you know, he was amped and he was, yeah, I'm going to just go and take over. I can imagine he was like, this guy's big, but I'm going to trust God with my little and he will use it for much. You see, God looks at our intentions, not, our, not the end result, but rather the, the thing that starts the end result. God looks at the, the depths of our heart, our motives, our, the things that drive us forward are what God wants to deal with. He's a master of transforming the heart. Why? Because He's a master of relationship. He wants to work inside you. I remember um, clearing my throat. I remember when I first started working at the church, I, um, I was sure of a few things, that I, uh, that I was really good at most things, um, that I, uh, and I had a really good idea of how everything should work. That was kind of how I, I started out. Um, and I was, uh, you know, I was gung-ho, and I was full of faith, and I was excited. But because I knew how everything worked, and subsequently I'm, I, I'm learning that I don't know how everything works, um, because I knew how everything worked, the thing that I accomplished the most here at the church was offending people. I know it's hard to believe. I know. It's hard to believe. But I got really good <laughs> at offending people. And so what happened was that a couple of the pastors in this church who are not present currently, um, who, who would called me into a couple of meetings and said, hey, bro, we back you, we love you, we see a future for you, but you really have to deal with this thing of being a chop to people. And I was like, okay, okay, I, I can do that. And they were like, because actually you work with people, so you don't want to bum them out all the time. And so, so what ended up happening was I was like, okay, I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix my offending people problem. And so I, got be- I was working hard at fixing the problem, and I was just getting angrier and angrier and angrier because I was working hard at fixing the problem. Have you ever gotten into that kind of space? You're like, I'm going to get this right. And you just actually become very grumpy. Um, and what I realized is no matter how hard I tried to fix the problem, I needed some intervention from someone who can actually change my heart. And his name is Jesus. And so I went from trying really hard to not offend people and inadvertently offending them and realizing that in order to become a softer, more humble person, I needed Jesus to take me on a journey. You see, sanctification is this thing where we go, God, I'm going to trust you with my heart. 
I'm going to trust you with dealing with the innermost things. And unfortunately, that is not an easy process. It is a process that takes time. But it, it is the best way to see transformation come to your life. Why? Because God is a master of transforming the heart. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're going, I just can't kick that addiction. Or I just can't get rid of this thing that drives me toward unhealthy or unhelpful things. Or I just can't be, stop being a bad boss. Or I just can't stop being a bad wife or husband. I want to tell you that if you will submit your heart to Jesus, He will bring the transformation that is needed. That is the gospel. You see, the challenge is often we think that we have to get it right all the time, but the grace of God means that He gets it right all the time, and I just have to submit my life to that. There's these two beautiful pictures that the Bible paints about God. It says, number one, He is a surgeon, and two, He is a potter. And I love these two illustrations. One, because the surgeon is this meticulous person who gets it right, and, and there's something disconcerting about going for surgery. I went about a year and a half, two years ago, something like that. I went for an operation, and there's something incredibly disconcerting about an operation. I'll tell you why. Because they put you on that very cold silver table, and then they inject you with something. They tell you to count down from 100, and when you get to 93, you are knocked out. All of a sudden, you have no control in that situation. You have no control whatsoever. You're just laying there, and, and they are going to do the operation that needs to happen. And what you are doing is you are putting your trust in those surgeons and in the same way, I believe that God calls us to get ourselves out of the way sometimes and trust Him to do the operations that are necessary on our heart. You see, because He's not just a well-qualified surgeon, He's the master surgeon. He knows exactly what He's doing. I remember when I went in for this operation, this Dutch man walked into the room and, and there were a whole bunch of students and, and this Dutch man walked in and he went, no, we're going to do this this way. And you could see all of the students were like, okay, that's the way we're going to do it. Why? Because he was the master surgeon. He knew exactly what needed to happen. And I want to tell you this morning that Jesus knows exactly what needs to happen in your life. And I love the illustration of a potter that actually that clay needs to be placed on the table to be formed into this beautiful vessel. And I want to say to you this morning that both of those actions require something being put on a table. Both of those actions require me going, okay, God. I'm going to put my heart on the table and let you do the work. You see, I believe that the Father in heaven is obsessed with relationship with his sons and daughters. He is, the, he is so obsessed with relationship with his sons and daughters that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross so that you may have relationship with the Father. Yes, he washed away your sins. Yes, he brought freedom. But I believe that that was to the single end of having a relationship with the King of heaven and earth. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're going, well, my guilt runs too far. My shame is too big. I've done too many things wrong. I want to tell you that the blood of Jesus is bigger than anything you have ever done wrong. That the blood of Jesus is bigger than any mistake you have ever made. And it returns you into a relationship with the Father. It takes you out of a, a culture that says a whole bunch of unhelpful, bad things that lead to death. And it puts you into a culture of heaven where there is life, where there is grace, where the kingdom of God is allowed to flow in the world that we live in. This morning, I would love to ask you a few simple questions. Number one, have you laid everything down at the feet of Jesus? And as we kind of, we're going to take communion in a moment. I'd love the band to come up, but have you laid everything at the feet of Jesus? Have you submitted yourself to the King of Kings? 
Have you given him the little bit that you had and said, God, I trust you with this. I trust you with my business. I trust you with my marriage. I, I trust you with my friendships. You know, I think we, we quickly uh, defer to God on, on, um, on financial things. But how, when last did you defer to God on that broken friendship that you haven't dealt with? When last did you defer to God on the fight you may have had with your wife the other day and neither of you are willing to say sorry? When did you defer to God on those things? Why? Because Jesus wants your everything, not just the little bit that you're willing to give. And my last thought this morning is very simply this. Will you allow God to do the work in your heart that He needs to do? Will you allow Him to bring transformation? You see, one moment in the presence of Jesus can do the work of a thousand books, a thousand sermons, a thousand counseling sessions. All of those are good things. But one moment in the presence of Jesus can bring all the transformation that is needed. What I'd love for us to do, can I just ask us to stand? We're just going to take a moment. I love the gospel. It teaches us this simple truth that we do not have to seek the approval of God. My approval is in Jesus. I simply need to seek His heart. You just seek relationship with my Father. And so this morning, I believe there are some people in this room, maybe you've never made a commitment to Jesus. Maybe you've never entered into a heartfelt, real relationship with the Savior of the world. And I would desire this morning that you would make a decision toward Christ. Because He died for you. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're going, it's been a very long time since I've sought the heart of my Father. It's been a very long time since I've had an intimate time with Jesus. I believe when we understand that we can bring anything to the feet of Jesus, that thing starts to change. So this morning, Father, as we take communion together, Jesus, I pray that you would start to work in people's hearts. That you would start to work in the innermost depths of people's hearts in this room, God that they are approved by you, Jesus, that your grace is sufficient for them, God, that you have a future and a hope for them, King Jesus. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in this room.